Our scripture today is from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 to 19. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this is a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction from mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things, by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Dear Lord, we thank you that as we look at both our past and our future, you are in control. We thank you for the blessings that you lavish on us, and I pray that we would remember that those blessings are ultimately for your glory and to magnify your name as David modeled for us here in this passage. We pray for Mark as he brings um, his thoughts that they would just be uh, subject to your intent, that they would be... Um, truthful, that they would uh, be things that we need to hear and would be open to receiving. Pray that you would have your hand on us as we are meeting together um, in your name and for your glory. Amen. <clears throat> well, just a little bit of a recap. The last few weeks, um, the passages before, um, our passage today, David, David has, is now king of Israel. He's in Jerusalem. He has built a house, a palace for himself made out of cedar. Um, he is established as the king of Israel. Finally, civil war is over. The nation is unified under God's anointed king. And David looks at his house and then he sees the tent that God's presence is residing in over the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, why should it be that I get to live in a house of wood and God has to live in a house of cloth? This doesn't make any sense. So I want to I build God a, a house. And, and David's prophet, his seer, um, comes to him and says, do it. This, this sounds great. Go ahead and do this. Whatever your heart desires when it comes to this, do that. And, and then God tells uh, Nathan that night and he says, no, David's not going to build me a house. 
His son's going to build me a house. And he goes to David and he says these words, basically, you want to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. Now, ultimately that means, yes, God's house, the temple, Solomon is going to literally build the temple for God, but that God's going to build David a house means his family, his throne, his um, children and children's children and children's children are going to reside upon the throne of God's people of Israel for all time. And God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to establish your throne forever. And then over time, the kings fall away from God. They get put into exile. And for roughly six, seven hundred years or so, give or take a few decades, there is no king on the throne of Israel. And Israel's going, what's, what's going on? What's, what's going to happen? God, you promised this. And for 700 years, we have no king of David upon the throne. And then God brings the king, Christ, his son, which we just celebrated last week. And the king comes, he takes the throne, and he is right now established forever on the throne. Well, David doesn't know this, right? I mean, this is, this is hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ even comes. God says, I'm going to establish you a house. And when David hears this, and David understands, my throne's going to last forever because God says it is going to happen David then comes before God when he hears the words of Nathan. He comes before God. He humbly comes before him and he praises and gives thanks to God. So David's prayer of thanksgiving ultimately goes around this truth and this is where it's all going to come around. God's words are always true. Now when it comes to you and I and we talked about this last week like we make promises, right? And we have the best of intentions, but we don't know what's going to happen between now and next week or now and next year or even now and lunchtime. You know, like, oh, we're going to have this for lunch. And then you put it in the oven and an hour later, it's burnt to a crisp. Well, you're not having that for lunch anymore, right? Like we just don't have control. We make the best of intentions and we can guess, but can you say with absolute certainty, this is exactly what's going to happen? Or can I say that my words, what I am saying, is exactly right? When it comes to you and I, we cannot use absolute language. Or if we use it, it has to be super sparing. Okay, like, I'll never be a Vikings fan. I will never be a Packers fan. Right? There are few times we can use absolute language, but it's super rare because we can't say, well, okay, so we've said this and our kids have said this. If you have kids or grandkids, have you ever heard this? You never let me do what I want, right? Or, man, you are always late. Those are just simply not true statements. Because I know there was at least one time in your life that you got to do what you want. And I know there was at least one time in your life that you were probably on time. But 
But when it comes to God, we have to use absolute language. Or, maybe say it this way, the use of absolute language is always right when it comes to God. Because every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is always true. And this truth drives David to humility and thankfulness and praise. David has already revealed his humility before God and just his desire, like looking at his house and saying, this isn't right, then I'm living better than God. Of course, he didn't understand that the whole world is God's, right? So he's not like confined to this little tent, but he's seeing why should I be living this way and God's house is a tent. God responds, of course, to this humility by proclaiming that David's kingly line is going to last forever. And in response, David, it says he sits before the throne, uh, before the Lord. That's not normal language. When you're coming before God, you, you are, you're standing and you're praising, you're worshiping. Sometimes you fall on your face, but no, he's, he's sitting. It's a sign of humility. He has come before the Lord and he prays. He says this, who am I and what is my house? that you have brought me this far, Lord. The Lord has spoken. And so what more can David say to him? God has made a promise and David knows that it is going to happen. And how does he know it's going to happen? Because God has been faithful in the past. He has always been faithful in the past. God may not have worked the way that David wanted him to or expected him to work, and yet God still worked, and he still did what he had promised. God promised to make David a great king. David says that in verse 21, something that David could not have done in his own power. David was simply a shepherd boy who over time was trained and made by God to be the king of Israel. This was the Lord's doing and the Lord did it in order to make David know that God was, he always fulfills all of his promises. Again, that's in verse 21. That's, you say, like, just look at that. It's, this is, it's a weird phrase. He says, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Now, if you ever come on a Monday night, what are we going to get stuck on? The word it. What is it? To make your servant know it. What is it? It is God's promise. Because he has been faithful in the past, God, his promise in making David a great king, the promise that God made to put him on the king or on the throne of Israel forever. He makes it happen so that David will know that God is always faithful. You're going to hear that a lot today. The Lord made him king. The Lord established him as king. The Lord made David great in order to make David know that God always fulfills his, all of his promises. 
Again, that's not something you and I could say. Even in our our best days, we cannot use those words. But when it comes to God, we can. And David understands that his being made king and his house being established forever, they're all orchestrated and accomplished by God, not by David. Why? Because God had promised that it would happen. And so this confession of David to say, you did this to reveal that you are always faithful and fulfilling your promises. This confession of David that God's the one who did it drives him then to praise God for being God. Therefore, this is in verse 22. That's an important word. Therefore, it, what it communicates is that whatever comes after this word, therefore, is because of what precedes it. So in this case, because God is faithful, because God fulfills all of his promises always to David, therefore, you are great, O Lord. You are great and awesome. Why? Because there is no God like you. There is no God besides you. It's not that God is a God amongst many gods. Now he's the only God. There is no other God, period. Because every, because of everything that God has done, David expresses his praise. This is who you are, God. Everything you say is true. Everything that you say always comes about. No other God can say that, let alone, because no other God can speak for one, but no other God can actually keep their promises. The trustworthiness of God's word reveals to David and reveals to us God's greatness, and it sets him apart from all others. He is in a class of his own. God is. But God's greatness is also revealed by his actions towards his people, Israel, and doing for them great and awesome things. So he spent time, David said, This is what you've done for me. Look what you did for me and what you've done for me and what you're going to do for me. Great are you, Lord, but look what you've done for your people. Of of all the nations on the earth, God chose Israel. He chose to redeem and rescue them out of slavery in Egypt. Not so that Moses or Joshua or Samuel or David or anybody else could be made great, but to make himself a name is what it says. Names in ancient times and ancient biblical times were important because that name communicated something about an individual. And so for God to make himself a name through his people is to have his character, his being, who he is communicated to the rest of the world. God chose Israel, slaves, Weak, powerless, as his people. He didn't pick Egypt. He didn't pick the masters. He picked the slaves. Why? In order to reveal his greatness to them and to the world. 
Israel exists because God established them for himself to be his people forever. David was chosen by God to be king over every other man in Israel. Of all the possible people who could become king, he chose David. Israel was chosen by God over every other nation on earth. He could have picked any nation, but he chose this one. Why? To reveal his greatness. And so because of this truth, David realizing you picked me to be king. And, and I think he says in there, you, you know your servant's heart. So I think that's a positive, okay? But I think it could be a negative too. Like, I, I know myself, right? You know yourself. And you kind of go like, okay, you know your servant, God. You know me really deep. I don't know why you have chosen me for this, David says. But you also know my heart, God, that I love you, that I want to do what's right. I'm not perfect. You know me. And you choose, you chose me as king. And then I know Israel, you know your people. I mean, how many times does God say, you, you hard-hearted, adulterous people, won't you ever learn? He knows Israel. And yet God says, but I love you because you're my people. God knows his People. God knows his king. And David is giving him this praise and glory and honor. And so, because of this, David finds then the courage to make a request of God. Now, this is a really strange request. I mean, considering what David had just prayed, okay, he asked God at the end, verses 25 through 27, he asked God to confirm and to do his promises concerning his house and him himself. So David and his, his household. So David has just proclaimed God's greatness because of his faithfulness in keeping his promises to make David king and to establish his house. And then he asks God to establish him and establish his house. Does that seem weird? Did anybody, did anybody catch that? That's like sometimes we can just kind of look over it. He, he prays what has already happened. So why is David saying this? What's he doing here? Well, I believe that this is a prayer, not for David. I think this is a prayer for future generations. And where I get that, because it's got to come out of scripture, right? This is not something I want to pull out of midair and say like, well, I think I want to, what's David thinking about at this moment? I have no clue other than what's in the Bible. So what is, is there something in this passage that points to, to this? Well, at the end of verse 19, this is what David says. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind. So David's thinking now, not just in him, not just Israel, but all of humanity. And so David and the people of Israel know that God is great because they have witnessed God's faithfulness in their history and in their own time. Okay, so not just their history of, of Egypt and everything leading up, but David becoming king, so in their own time. But God's promise to establish David's house forever is a future prospect. 
And so David asked the Lord to do what he has always done, keep his word. And when the Lord confirms and fulfills his word to establish his throne forever in the future, when that happens, when the Lord confirms and fulfills that, then the Lord's name will be magnified forever by future generations. So David can confidently ask God to do what he promises because God always does what he promises. And you might, you might have to like stew on that for a little while. David is saying, you always keep your word. Look what you've done. You have promised this to happen. And, and I believe it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen because you promised it. Because you have always been faithful in keeping your promises. But God, generations are going to come after me. And they will not have had the experiences that I had. So work, God. And confirm these words so that they might know that you are always faithful. I see it. We even look, look back in the history of, of, of Israel and the Exodus, that first generation dies and the conquering generation that comes in with Joshua. They're faithful. The second generation after Joshua, not so much. Why? Because they had not experienced the exodus and they had not experienced the conquering of the, of the promised land. And so David is saying, show them. Show them how faithful you are, God. Show them that you always keep your promises. And so then he ends with this prayer of praise in verses 28 and 29. The Lord, he is God. His words are always true. He has spoken and will do exactly as his pro he promises because of his faithfulness and God will be praised. God, keep your promises for the future generations so that when you keep them, they will praise you and your name will be exalted forever. You see what David's doing? He's looking at the past. He's looking at his own life and he's seeing the future and he's saying, this is all for you, God. This is all about your greatness. This is all about your faithfulness. This is all about your power and your might and your glory. So I think it's good for us today that this prayer of David is really not that long it teaches us important truths. Perhaps in our own prayer life, yeah, maybe, although I think this is descriptive, not prescriptive, which means we don't have to follow it exactly. He just gives an example. But I think more so just the life that we live as God's people. And so, first of all, we should remember, first and foremost, as God's people, we should remember who God is. Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Do we understand and realize as God's people today, and I'm going to get into that a little bit, what does it mean, God's people? Who are the church? As God's people today, we are standing here, or sitting, <laughs> in your case, and we're worshiping the same God that had a conversation with David. He's, he hasn't changed. 
And we are conversing with that same God. We are worshiping him. We are praising him. God has not diminished in character. He has not increased in character because he's the best of everything. God is great. This is the God that we approach. And the Bible says we can approach with confidence. There is no God besides him. He alone created the world and all that is in it. He alone sets the limit of the land and the sea. He alone knows and cares for every bird of the air and fish of the sea. He created humanity from the dirt of the earth. He is above all things and there is no one and nothing besides God. And his great and wondrous deeds reveal his greatness. To the point where even the world, those who, those who do not know and do not love God cannot help but look at creation around them. Look at the stars of the heaven and go, there's got to be something more. There has to be a God. Every heart knows. Now we might fight it. We might deny it. But the Bible says every heart knows there is a God. They don't know that God. They don't know how to get to that God, but they know there's something out there. And his name is Yahweh. This is the God that we worship. I've said this in the past. Do we approach God as if he's like my buddy that I just celebrated the New Year's with, right? Like, like we can tend to diminish God. He is, he is our friend. We have a relationship with him, but he is God, the creator of all things. And I can approach him with confidence, but he is God and I am not. Do we approach him that way as David did, humbly coming before him and yet confidently coming before him? Secondly, we need to know who we are. So when we say we, I mean the church, those who are saved from the wrath of God for their sins, by God's grace, through faith, and through trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he said. You faith and trust in Christ to save us from the wrath of God for our sins. That's who the church is. So it's not just Elm Creek. You're talking about the church throughout all the world and the church through, throughout all of history. We call it the big C, the big C church. Because like Israel, the church is chosen by God to be redeemed for himself, to make himself a name. Okay, so that, this, that statement, okay, if your hackle or your, whatever they're called, the hair on the back of your head, your hackles are going up, okay, you need to calm down. Okay, we're not going to go that direction. We could. I'd love to. We don't have time. What I want to focus on is that last part. He chose by, we are chosen by God to, re, to be redeemed for himself, to make himself a name. Okay, now again, this is not, these are not my words. Grab your Bibles, your Bible app. Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the Apostle Peter writing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9, 
9 and 10. Now he's writing, Peter is writing to believers. He's writing to the church, big C church. Not just the church in his time, but also the church for, like us today, those who believe today. And this is what he says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As the church, we are chosen by God out of all the people in this world to belong to him, to be his possession. Now, if you're hearing that saying, what an arrogant jerk you are, Mark. We need to, what was point number two? Realize who we are. (laughs) That we are not worthy of God's love in and of ourselves, and yet he still loved us. We are chosen by him. We are chosen by him out of all the people. Not an arrogant, look how awesome I am. Because that's not the point of why he chose us, so that we could have big heads and think of ourselves better than everybody else. Israel did that, and how did that work out for him? Not very well. We are chosen by God out of all the people in the world to belong to him, to be his possession, not to reveal our greatness, but to reveal his greatness. His greatness. He chose us to be his people so that we would proclaim his excellencies, Peter says, to reveal to those around us of the greatness and faithfulness of God to do what he says he's going to do. God says, if you believe in my son, you will be saved. You believe, and guess what happens? You're saved. God says, I'm going to establish a son of David on his throne forever. Christ comes, he does it, and he becomes the king of God's people. Which means when we believe and we're saved from our sins, he becomes our king, just like he promised. We're, we're not the center of that equation. Do we understand that? He's the center of it. And our lives as his people are to reflect the excellencies of God. Not the excellencies of Elm Creek. Not the excellencies of Elm Next week at the annual meeting, we're going to talk about how God has blessed us and all the, the good things that have happened. And, um, but it's not about the good things that happen for us. It's that through those things, through his blessings, his greatness has been revealed. And our lives should reflect that. And then finally, so we need to remember who God is. We need to remember who we are. And when we remember the greatness of God, when we remember that he has made us his people, not we have made ourselves his people, we are naturally moved to praise, glory, and honor God. Because he is God. 
And if his words are always true, that we, we are that future generation that David was talking about. We're amongst, maybe I should say amongst that future generation because that can give us a big head too. Like we're the generation that knows everything. No, uh-uh. we are part of that future generation who has seen God establish the throne in the house of David forever through his son, Jesus Christ. We've witnessed it. Maybe we weren't there in person, but we know Christ is on the throne. And God, the Father, has established Jesus, his son, as king over his people. And through him, God has made us his people. And so we can stand with David and we can say these words, God, has, you fulfilled your promises, Lord. You have confirmed your words as true once again, like we should be surprised. And so we praise you. We praise you because you did what you said you were going to do. You saved me, even though I was your enemy. You revealed your love to me, even though, Father, I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn that. I cannot boast in that. I can only boast in you, Lord. David desired his life, and he failed at times, but David desired his life to glorify God and to reveal his greatness. He desired the people of Israel to glorify God and reveal God's greatness to the world. And through Christ then, he does. And all over the world is the church. And so... The reality that he has saved us then drives us to give praise to the Lord and to reveal God's greatness to the world. We fail at it sometimes. Maybe a lot of times. Sometimes we could become arrogant in ourselves. Sometimes we could think of ourselves better than we ought. And these words a reminder to us. I praise God that my identity is not found in my faithfulness. My identity is found in God's faithfulness. And by his faithfulness, he saved me, and so my life should reflect that. So there, here's your New Year's resolution. I hate making New Year's resolutions. I'm, maybe I'm the only one. My mom used to do it all the time, and she'd say it. I'd be like, I, I hate these. I just... Okay, because I should be living this the whole time anyway, which means I don't hardly, right? Like, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. Yeah, no, it ain't going to happen. We all know it. That's my attitude. I'm not saying that's right. But when it comes to, so if you made, that totally sounds like I'm looking down on you if you make New Year's. Good for you if you're making New Year's resolutions. I can't keep them, okay? But the reality is, is if you want to make a New Year's resolution as God's people, as God's child, as his daughter, as his son, here's a really, really good one. Live your life in such a way that your praise and thankfulness to God for his graciously making you his own is evident to anybody who sees you. Maybe this is an old old cliche, but I, I want to maybe be a little transparent. And I'm hoping that you can relate to this. 
I am not ashamed to say that I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. I've got a flag outside my house right now. I will go home and I will put my, well, I'll keep my Packer socks on. I will put my sweatshirt on that says Green Bay. I'll put my pajama pants at Green Bay. I might even wear my cheese head just for fun. But I will proclaim to this world that I am a Green Bay Packer fan. But do they know that I'm a Christian? That's convicting to me. I am not ashamed to say that I'm a Packer fan. How many times in my life has my life revealed the fact that, yeah, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say that I'm a Christian. Maybe I don't express it that way, but my, does my life show that? And again, that's not to make, like, put guilt upon you to say you're a horrible person. You're a normal Christian. You're a normal person. And these words of God are here to remind us, guys, I am your God and I saved you just like I promised. Will your life reflect my excellencies? Do people around me know that the words of my mouth, are they belittling? Are they crass? Do they reveal my greatness or the greatness of everything else in the world? Or does the words of my mouth and the actions of my life reveal his excellencies. And if you're an unbeliever, then you have to ask yourself this question. Who or what in your life can you rely upon to save you from the wrath of God from your sins? This world and the things that it offers cannot save. They cannot satisfy. It's like drinking a, a cup of sand. It might fill you up, but it ain't going to satisfy your thirst. Only Christ can do that. That longing, that hungering within you. Because this world, myself, whatever sports team that you, you follow, they're going to let you down eventually, right? Even your family cannot be 100% perfect for you, but God can. And he says, if you believe in my son, I will save you. And he will do that if you put your trust in him. Father, I pray that these words of David, this prayer of David, this prayer that reveals his heart, Father, that, that as we live our lives as your people, as the church, God, that you would continue to fulfill your word so that we can be reminded of your faithfulness and that future generations, Father, can see and experience your faithfulness. We ask the same thing that David did, Father, that you would continue to confirm your word, that you will save those who, who believe in you so that future generations, Father, may pass on the truth of your gospel message and that they would see and know the excellencies of your greatness. Father, we thank, thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your words are always true. We thank you for your greatness. We thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we, like David, may praise, worship, honor, and glorify you. But Father, help this not to be a Sunday morning thing, a one-time event, or even a New Year's thing, Father, that every day and every moment of our life as your people, Father, that you would be continually working on us to remind us 
of who you are, who we are in you. And that we might proclaim your excellencies and your greatness to the people around us, Father. That you would be lifted high and they would, people would see you and not us. We ask this, Father, in your holy name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our final song?